Yo, 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 what's good, what's good, what's good, everybody? Welcome back, welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, full effect. Like I told you guys, I'm here to deliver a Wednesday episode, another Wednesday episode, another episode. You know how we got, you know, you know how we give it up on Wednesdays. You know how we rock on Wednesdays. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, This episode is going to, it's going to go a little w- away from the NBA Finals. I may talk about a little bit of NBA Finals and what to look forward for or what to look ahead for in terms of Game 3. Um, so this episode will drop on Wednesday morning. You guys, are, hopefully you guys listen to it, watch it, um, or listen to this podcast. Like I said, listen to this podcast um, before the game on Wednesday. But we'll dive into a little a little bit of NFL offseason because we got a, we got some, you know, some some high marquee NFL stories that uh, that came about. So we're going to discuss that today, and like I said, we I probably try to sneak in some NBA Finals. Like I said, I told you guys I was going to bring you guys uh, some of the best final series I talked about uh, on the last episode. So I might give you guys that, slip that in there. But without further ado, let's get into it. Let's not waste any time. You guys know I'm your I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. I'm feeling really good, feeling real good today. Hope you guys are doing the same. Hope you guys are being healthy and wealthy. Um, like I said, shouts out to everybody listening to this podcast. Shouts out to everybody. Shouts out to all the first-time listeners. Shouts out to all the, the regular listeners. Hell, if you're a last-time listener, shouts out to you too. Hopefully, you're, this is not the last time you're listening to this podcast. But... I'm so, so excited. And I want to start with some exciting news. I always like talk. I don't I don't like talking about dudes money. I like the fact that like dudes are getting paid. Um, It's not that I'm, you know, I'm watching people's pockets, but I, I like the fact and I like to talk about guys getting paid, guys getting long term deals. And we'll start with Aaron Donald, who I think is probably the most dominant player in league history. One of the most dominant players in league history. I think he's definitely in the argument of one of the greatest players in league history, but definitely, definitely, probably atop of a lot of people's list in terms of best defensive player ever. And as you already know, or if you don't know, Aaron Donald and the Rams came to an agreement. Uh, the Rams re-signed Aaron Donald. They gave him a, a huge deal. A $40 million raise um, that makes him the highest paid player um, outside of quarterbacks. He's the highest paid, he's the highest paid player in the NFL in league history, actually, outside of the quarterbacks, uh, outside of the quarterback position. So that that's a huge, huge accomplishment from Aaron Donald. And I'm not really here to discuss how great Aaron Donald is, because like we all at this point know how great he is. Like that, that like we, I don't need, I, you guys don't need me to talk about and spend time talking about how great he is. We all know how good Aaron Donald is, but just to get it, just to put things in perspective, um, he got, he's, he's now, he got a $65 million guaranteed deal. Um, He's the first ever non-quarterback to earn thirty million dollars per year. Um, so that that's that's what it's looking like. And he essentially, on top of the, the old contract where he had his uh, his previous contract, he had no more guaranteed dollars left. So he was trying to get he was trying to bank in and cash in on more guaranteed dollars. Obviously, the Rams paid it. Uh, they they paid they paid them. Obviously, uh, and like I said. He is now the highest paid non-quarterback in NFL, not the highest paid player, non-quarterback player in NFL history. That's amazing. That's amazing, Aaron Donald. That's amazing. Um, and I would, I, I would, I would even argue like he's more valuable. He's probably more valuable, valuable than some quarterbacks, right? But. That's not what I want to talk about. That's not really really that's not really what I want to highlight. I don't we all know great we all know how great Aaron Donald is. I want to get to the Rams front office. 
the Rams front office. Because ever since I've started this podcast, I have stressed the importance three years ago, almost three years. I have always, always stressed the importance of a front office, having a good front office. I usually talk about it with any sport because I think it's with any team sport, it's important and critical to have a great front office. But I talk about it and I really stress that point when talking and discussing the NFL, because unlike any other league, the NFL is a hard or, you know, some of the, you know, like MLB, the NBA, unlike some of the other major leagues, the NFL is a hard cap league. So every dollar and every contract, every huge contract that you give out, it has to be worth something. It has to be the right move because it's such a hard cap league. So having a great front office matters. It matters. And with this whole turning point with for the Rams, it started with the hiring of Sean McVay. The hiring of Sean McVay that was the turning point for this Rams organization. Under Jeff Fisher, Jared Goff was like a bust. They fired Jeff Fisher. That was history. But the Rams hired this smart, young, offensive guru of guru of coach in McVay. McVay helps Jared Goff, makes Jared Goff look better than what he did in year one. And here we go. The Rams are now here. Well, what started that? The front office. Who, like, who do we get? Like, the hiring of Sean McVay came from the front office. I don't care in any industry you work in. From great company, great schools, groups, great organizations, great teams. You know what they all usually have in common? Pretty good leaders, pretty good front offices. Sometimes it's called, sometimes it's not always called like the front office. Maybe it's like the CEO. Maybe it's the board group. Maybe it's board members, whatever. Principals, since the principals, whatever. In any type of industry, when they all have success, usually the one thing they all have in common when they're successful. The one thing in common is pretty good leadership. <laughs> when you see a well-run company, Fortune 500 company, they pretty they usually have pretty good CEO, pretty good management, pretty good front offices. When you see a well-run school, they usually pretty they usually have a pretty good principal, pretty good assistant principals because the good the 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 principal is really good, so that means they're going to hire a pretty good sense of principle and then so forth, so forth. It's like a domino effect. It's a, it's a, it's like a chain. It's a chain reaction. <laughs> so if the front office is good, <laughs> you're going to hire a good coach, which the Rams did. The Rams have a good front office. They hired a good coach. So if you hire a good coach, a good coach is going to hire a good staff. Good staff is going to draft good players. You sign those guys. And that is why over the, over the past several years, the Rams have been able to afford, the Rams can afford to give their star players massive contracts and massive deals because time and time again, they hit regularly on later round picks. That is the key. That is the key. That is the key. The Rams over the past several years, I would argue, have probably had the best front office in football. And sure, they have had some hiccups, but throughout the since hiring Sean McVay, I would beg to differ who has had a better front office, whose front office in the NFL, whose front office in the league has had a better showing over the past since the hiring Sean McVay, who's had a better showing? And the Rams. I think Kansas City has a really good front office. I think there's I think there's a handful of teams that have really good front offices. I think Kansas City's really up there. I think the 49ers are up there. I think there's a handful of teams that's really close. But I don't know. The Ram, and you, and sometimes you got to question yourself, the Rams are paying all of these guys what the what 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 the hell? What bank are they using? What bank are they using 
that other teams just don't have the access to. And it's not that. It's the mere fact that the Rams, the Rams, they have a smart front office. And that's what happens when you have a smart front office. That's what happens. That that That's what happens. And like I said, the Rams, they haven't done everything perfect. They've had some hiccups. Hell, they've gave out some big-time deals, some big-time contracts prematurely. Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. Brandon Cooks, but you know, you know, you know another thing that really good front officers are good at? They are good at when they realize when they make a mistake. When they see an issue, they realize the mistake and they fix the mistake immediately. The Rams, they fix their mistakes. They sort of, you know, they gave Todd Gurley the contract. They saw it, you know, repetitive knee injuries. Eh, you know, the he was really never the same. Move off him. Brandon Cooks, they was like, oh, you know, they paid Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks, really productive receiver. Still up to this day, a really productive receiver. But the, but the Rams had Cooper Cup. <laughs> the Rams had Robert Woods. The Rams had weapons all over the place. Uh, you know, they... they Brandon Cooks, was he was extendable. But they paid him. But they realized, oh... We have young receivers all over the place. We can move Brandon Cooks. He's extendable. And with Jared Goff, like Goff, okay, he's like they, you know, he's he's had nothing but winning seasons since Sean McVay got here. He did lead us to the Super Bowl, but we feel like we can get something better on the market. We feel like we have hit a ceiling with this particular player. And he's making a little bit too much for the production that he's giving us. We're going to move off him. They move off him, got Matthew Stafford, an upgraded quarterback. So even with the hiccups the Rams have made in terms of giving away contracts prematurely to certain guys, even those hiccups, and at the time, the contracts look good. At the time, like, you know, you could argue those contracts. And like I said, you know, like like we always say, 2020 is hindsight, right? But when they realized, the, when the Rams realized they made they they had a hiccup and they made a hiccup and they made a mistake, they quickly fixed the issue. They quickly realized the mistake and moved off. They move off of it. They move off of it. Have you noticed since Deshaun McVay hire and everybody see? how smart and how crafty and how innovative Sean McVay is. You realize since the Sean McVay hire, anytime, anytime a team fires their coach, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for the next Sean McVay. <laughs> they're looking for the next Sean McVay. And with them and with those teams looking for the next Sean McVay, you know the coaches that get hired? Oh, yeah, the coaches that work under Sean McVay. <laughs> Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor, Cincinnati, just in the Super Bowl. Oh, he comes from the Sean McVay tree. He was he was coach under Sean McVay. Brandon Staley under Sean McVay. So, 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 you know, when we have these copy, when these when we have these type of discussions in terms in terms of like front offices and. You know, I, you guys know I always stress the importance of having a really good front office. I would beg to differ, and I would argue over the past since hiring Sean McVay, over the past five to six years, the Rams have probably had the best front office in football. They they are and then not to mention their aggressiveness in terms of that, and that's another reason they can afford the Rams can afford. People don't like to talk about it, but the Rams can afford to give away first and second round picks. They can afford to give away high quality picks because they hit on later rounds. So you can give away a couple first rounders for Jalen Ramsey, a shutdown corner. And they're paying all of their guys top of the market. Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford. They're going to be paying Cooper Cup soon. Jalen Ramsey. They gonna they gonna you know I think at some point they're gonna probably resign Odell. Now Aaron Donald, 
It just it goes on and on and on. They signed Bobby Wagner. They signed uh Allen Robinson. It goes on and on and on. You can afford that's the thing. People don't want to talk about it because like you want to give up a first round pick for this. Well, no. You can if you are if your front office and if your scouting department is regularly hitting and they're hitting the lotto on later round picks, you can afford to give away a first or two to get a star. You can afford to do that because you you know your scouting department, you know your front office is hitting on later round picks. In the Rams model, it works. It works. And a lot of teams, unbeknownst, a lot of teams are trying to copy that same method. But I think it's simple. Great front office. If you have a great front office, you're gonna hire the you're gonna hire a pretty good coach. You hire a pretty good coach, he's gonna hire, he's gonna have a pretty good coaching staff. That means they're gonna draft well. So it's a cycle. It's a cycle. And the Rams over the past several years have mastered that cycle. They've moved off of even the guys that they have moved off of. You know what they always say about the Rams? Great culture. Great culture. Best football ever played. Best time I ever had. Best time I had ever playing football. That's what they always say about the That's what they always say about playing for the Rams. Even the guys that depart and move on. You know what they always say about the Rams? Had a great time there. Sean McVay is wonderful. Great culture. Great setting. Literally almost every player that have departed from the Rams. And and, and like I said, the Rams, they lose guys. They've lost some guys. They they had to move off of Robert Woods. They they couldn't pay John Johnson the third. They couldn't they they had to move off some guys, but they just replenish. They replenish. They do a great job with the cycle. They have mastered the cycle where they hit on later round picks. They continue to hit on later round picks. They 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 they're still very much aggressive. They give guys second chances. You know, if Odell doesn't get hurt in the Super Bowl, he probably look he's probably looking at a nice deal from the Rams. And I still think he's going to get re- I think the Rams are probably still going to resign him, but he's probably looking at a nice deal. Von Miller, he was really productive. Second half of the year, doing that playoff run for Rams, really productive. Landed him a huge contract in Buffalo. You know, I, I I'm just the messenger here. I'm just reading with I'm just telling you what I got. I'm just telling you the trends that I see. And the trend here is that the Rams have mastered the cycle for years now. Anytime they have to move off a guy. Anytime they they realize that they have made a hiccup, they made a mistake in giving a you know a player a contract, they move off of it and they just replenish and they get better. Time and time again, time and time again, they move off of it and get better. And I thought those three examples, Gurley, Golf, and Brandon Cooks, all three were. Integral parts of Sean McVay's first Super Bowl run. <laughs> but <laughs> move off of it. They realize Gurley, health-wise, availability, uh, shaky, move off the contract. Don't pay running backs. Golf, they realized they hit a ceiling with golf. They felt they can get better. And, you know, they felt like they there was better quarterbacks on the market. There was a particular guy they really liked. They got Stafford. Got golf out of town. Cooks, they realized they had great receiver talent. We have great receiver talent all over the place. Brandon Cooks is really good, still productive to this day. But they're like, oh, do we really need to pay him? Do we really need to keep his contract on our books? Nah, we get rid of him, move him. We still have we still have weapons all over the place. That is why the Rams are so successful. That is why they're the, they're the defending Super Bowl champions. That is why the Rams are probably the favorites in the NFC coming into this year. Simple as that. Simple as that. Great front office. But it starts with the front office. It starts with having 
a great front office, a smart front office. That's why they're good. All right. So I just wanted to cap that off with the Rams. Like, we all know how great Aaron Donald is. Like, I don't need you guys don't need to hear me talk about how great Aaron Donald is. I try to give a different a different intro, you know, a, a different perspective on the way how to look at certain things. So with Aaron Donald, with him getting a new deal, we don't need to discuss like is he worth the money? Like, yeah, he's Aaron Donald. He's worth every penny and probably more. Um like we all like all you guys listen, you probably know Aaron Donald uh his and his impact and how much impact he has on the game. Now, you know, in terms of the capacity of that and you know Football terminology, some of you guys may not be able to do that or explain that, but we all can see while watching him that his impact is tremendous and his value is out of this world. So, you know, I don't need, I didn't feel the need to like talk, you know, tell you guys how great Aaron Donald is. Now, the Rams front office and the way how they've been handling their finances and signing guys and the way how they have been able to remove her around. The NFL being a hard cap league, that is also impressive. And that should be highlighted. We should be talking about that more on these type of shows and podcasts. Front offices. We know how great Aaron Donald is. You you guys don't come here for lazy and, and basic takes. You know, you could have got that for anybody. Aaron, you know, Aaron Donald's great. Yeah. Stevie Wonder can see that. Like, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Donald's great. Yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna. I wanted to tell you guys and express and show you how impressive the Rams front office has been over the past several years. Basically, since hiring Sean McVay, they have been really, really, really impressive. Now, speaking of new deals, new contracts, and so forth, um, let's talk about Lamar Jackson because he's interesting, and I like Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, I know he's looking for a new contract. I know some people – I know there's a crowd of, pre, of people that's a bit skeptical of giving Lamar Jackson a long-term deal. Well, if you're in that crowd, let me ring you in a little bit and bring you over here to, you know, the side that that I believe is the right side. Let me Let me bring you over here. Lamar Jackson, I don't think the question should be – whether or not he's going to get paid, like, is Lamar Jackson going to get paid? Like, I don't think the question should be if. I think it should be when. I think he should get paid. I think that the big question is when is he going to get paid? But with that, you know why Lamar's going to – you know why Lamar Jackson – if, you, if you're still in that crowd of people that, you know, that's yeah, that crowd over there that doesn't believe Lamar Jackson should get paid, you know why Lamar Jackson's going to get paid? Based off of these things, based off of these facts and points. First, his value. Tremendous value. Secondly, he's hard to kind of replace. <laughs> like, who are you replacing him with? And then his unique skill set. See, there's a lot of people that are good at what they do because they work hard. You know, there's a lot of people that work hard. But they don't get the type of value. They don't get the payout that they should. But I tell you this, always. When you have value, when you're hard to replace, and when you have a unique skill set, you'll always find a place and you'll always be paid. Lamar Jackson will get paid by the Ravens. The Ravens will pay him. Okay? They will. And I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, his... His, his, his QBR has gone down. Look at his completion percentage. And I'd be the first to tell you, because I have on this podcast before, I have criticized and I have talked about Lamar Jackson and his passing mechanics. I, I've talked about those things. I have, I have talked about Lamar Jackson and his mechanics. I have talked about all of those things. You still pay him. Still pay him. If you don't pay him, what, like, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Like, why are we having this conversation? Lamar Jackson should still be paid. He should be, he should get paid. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, he struggled in the playoffs. 
Lamar Jackson, he can't win the playoff. He uh, he underachieve he underachieves in the playoffs, huh? Like he wins games. I know, I, I know, I know, I know. The, like I said, the QBR has gone down. I know there's still some, I think, and I would I would agree. I think there's still some development in terms of in terms of his passing mechanics. But I also would say this: since since being in the NFL, I think he's also made some leaps and bounds and have improved. As a thrower, I think he has improved. I've seen a lot of improvements. So, like, if we're going to still talk about, like, the development, we should also mention, like, he has improved. It's not like he hasn't improved. Now, if he hasn't improved from year one to, what you know, what what, what is this, year four, year five, then, okay, we can have a different conversation. But he has shown improvement. But like I said, there, there's still some development that still need to take place. But while it's taking place, he should be played. He should be paid. And if your biggest knock on Lamar Jackson is going to be, oh, he don't win playoff games. He struggles in the playoffs. Well, Aaron Rodgers struggled in the playoffs too. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers hasn't gotten back to the he Aaron Rodgers hasn't gotten back to a Super Bowl since 2010. It's been 12 years. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, he struggles in the playoffs too. But still, year in year out, he's in. The, he finds himself in the MVP conversation, and he wins MVP quite quite often. We still recognize him as one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in football. To to some people, some people even call him the greatest quarterback talent ever. He struggles in the playoffs. Hell, Green Bay gave him a new contract, and they don't even know if. They don't even know about his status long term if if he wants to continue to play football. And they still gave him a long term. They still gave him a new deal. And like I said, Aaron, we still give Aaron all of these these adjectives, these accolades, and a new deal, incentives. We still give him that. You know why? Despite the lack of posting, you know why? Because it's hard to replace Aaron Rodgers. There's not a there's not a bunch of Aaron Rodgers walking around Earth, and the same could be said for Lamar Jackson. There's not a bunch of Lamar Jacksons just walking casually around Earth. <laughs> you just don't find guys like that. You, Aaron, Aaron has a unique skill set. Lamar Jackson has a unique skill set. That's hard to replace. The the I mean, and you guys know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. With all of the baggage, all of the personality flaws. Aaron's a handful. He's a handful, and you guys know I'm I'm not I'm not huge on Aaron Rodgers in terms of the person, in terms of the guy, in terms of the personality and all the baggage. I, I'm not huge on him. But Green Bay had to pay him. They had to pay him because he's hard to replace. It, he's hard to replace, even at his advanced age, even with some injury, it some injury and longevity questions, even with all the baggage, even with the playoff fit. Still got to pay him. He's hard to replace. You always gonna be paid, and the same could be said for Lamar Jackson. And he don't even come with half of those issues. <laughs> like Lamar loves football. Lamar doesn't have you know he he he, barely, he rarely shows any character flaws or so forth. Nah, Lamar has good intangibles. You know, you know, every time Lamar has like a meltdown moment in the press, he's like, I gotta get better. It's on me. I gotta get better. So if that's gonna if your biggest knock on Lamar Jackson is his lack of postseason success, I would beg you to look at Aaron Rodgers over the last seven years in the postseason. Hell, not even last seven years. You can go back and look at the last 10 years in the postseason. Holler at me. Hell, I love Peyton Manning. I love Peyton Manning to death. All-time great quarterback. I think, in my opinion, I think he's a top-five quarterback of all time. But, but, Peyton Manning had postseason, he had postseason failures too. And early on in his career, he had, he was, woof, he was, he was miserable in the postseason. So, when people say, oh, Lamar, he just can't win in the postseason, like, that's the, that's the biggest concern you have. Like, I and I get it. Like, I get, like, okay, you can't win the big one, but I get it. But, like, you realize Lamar had Baltimore at the number one seed with uh, with a bunch of injuries. They were 8-3, and three, 
before all the injuries or doing in, in, in not even before all the injuries, despite all the injuries, they were still eight and three. So when I hear people say, oh, Lamar, he just can't win the postseason. I'm like, you sure about that? You sure about that? Come on. If that's if 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 that's gonna be your biggest concern of that's a great concern. If that's your biggest concern about Lamar Jackson, then boy, come on. If Baltimore doesn't resign him, first, who are they replacing him with? And then the second question is like, are they even getting to the playoffs? Does like we're talking about Lamar Jackson playoff success or lack thereof. Are they even getting to the playoffs? Are they even a playoff team? No. So stop it. Lamar Jackson, it's not the the question is not. Is he going to get paid? It's, it's The question is, when is he going to get paid? Because he has value, he's hard to replace, and he has a unique skill set that's just not walking around randomly. You just can't find that. He don't grow in trees. Simple as that. All right, so before I close this bad boy up, I want to talk about uh, two things. First, I promise I will give you guys not a top 10 list, but a top five list of my favorite NBA Finals matchups. Um, now, it's going to be – actually, I'm going to talk about that once. Uh, I'm going to talk about that once I get to that. But first, I'm going to talk about Darvin Ham and uh, the Lakers because he had his introductory press conference. He did some questions. He did some Q&A and so forth. He did some more he did some more other, you know, further press and overall, I looked at the whole thing throughout the, you know, throughout the whole process, you know, introductory con- press conference and so forth. And as I've already said, I thought Darvin Ham was the ideal and the correct choice for the Lakers to pick as a head coach, as a head coach. Uh, I thought I th- he reminds me, I'm not saying he's going to be this guy or he's going to have the same fortunes as this guy. But he reminds me of a lot of M.A. Udoka as a candidate in terms of former player, longtime assistant, well-respected coach and basketball mind around the league. A lot of players respect him. Uh, obviously, he's followed Mike Budenholzer, uh, you know, his days in Atlanta and in Milwaukee. So and he, and he gives me the president like he's a man's man, grew up. Uh, you know, he just he he just he has a similar presence, I think, to to Emma Udoka, where I think he can actually look players in the eyes. He can he can he he can just get the respect of players. I feel like, um, not to say that Vogel couldn't or didn't. Um, and sometimes that was that you know that respect level was kind of questioned at times. But I feel like with Darvin Ham, you're getting a a situation where like. He's a man's man's. Uh, players are going to respect him. He's well respected around the league as a basketball mind and a basketball savant. Um, and I think I, in terms of identity, because that's what the that's a lot that's a part of the issue with the Lakers. They don't necessarily have an identity and a culture. I think he's going to bring a, a certain toughness and an identity with this Laker team. Now, overall, the overview of things. I think year one is going to be a little tough for him, honestly, because it seems as if, you know, things are pointing in a direction that the Lakers are going to probably keep Russell Westbrook. And honestly, I think that's the best move because in the NBA, when you have a bad contract, in order to move off that bad contract, you have to inherit another team's bad contract or bad contracts. And in this case, the Lakers they they would have in order to move off of Wesley Westbrook. It seems as if teams want additional assets on top of moving Westbrook's contract, and then in exchange, all the Lakers get is probably another bad contract. So it's best if they just play it out with Wesley Westbrook, um, and you just gotta tell yourself you gotta tell you gotta tell yourself the truth. LeBron's only giving you about fifty six games a year. Since he's become a Laker, that's what he averaged, 56 games a year. And he's in year 20, so it's expected. No knock against him. Now, somebody got to tell Anthony Davis' ass to get up, get in shape, come ready, come committed, get your body in the right shape so you can prevent all of these injuries. 
And then Wesley Westbrook, you know Wesley Westbrook in terms of availability, he's going to be there. He's going to show up every night. But in terms of his sporadic play, I don't think it's necessarily conducive for championship-level basketball. So that's that's those are the things in terms of the Lakers and their best three players. That's what is contingent upon. LeBron, his health hasn't been the best over the past since he's been a Laker, really. And it's, you know, he's LeBron. It's year 20. He's older. Anthony Davis, he's supposed to be in his prime, but he's just injury riddle and injury rattle. And then Wesley Westbrook, you have a player that's mad expensive, just expensive as hell. But his skills and the athleticism, his athleticism is depreciating and his skills that have been weaknesses throughout his entire career are still weaknesses in terms of like, i.e., aha, his shooting. So that that I think for year one, I think we should, you know, you know, temper our expectations of Darvin Ham. Um, I do think a, a gut feeling in me has the Lakers being better than what a lot of people are going to give them credit for. I think the Lakers are probably going to be a little bit better, but I don't see them winning the championship. I don't like, I don't, I don't see a huge, I don't see this turnaround just happening in one year where they go from not making the playoffs, not even being play in eligible to being like a, a, a championship team and winning the championship. I don't see that, but I do, th- I do think they'd be respectable and decent. Like, I think they won't be like, God awful and hard to watch. They'd be respectful and decent, but I just think the West is younger. They're gonna get the West is gonna be healthier and better. So with that, teams gonna get better. And I don't know how much better. I don't think the Lakers are gonna get significantly better, where like they become this instant title contender or title favorites or championship team. Um, I do think if you can guarantee me that like AD and LeBron can play sixty games, you know, I, I do think they'd be decent. And I, I, you know, maybe like a lower end playoff team, maybe, but not necessarily a championship caliber team. But he said something interesting. Darvin Ham said something interesting in terms of Wesley Westbrook, and he said, "I don't, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said Wesley Westbrook is still he is well, not still, but he said Wesley Westbrook is one of the best players this league has ever seen, and I would agree. And he still has some in the tank, and." I don't know if this is Darvin Ham trying to sell Westbrook to potential bidders. Um, I don't know. But my opinion on Wesley Westbrook has, and it, I feel like it's regurgitated. That's why I don't even talk about it as much anymore. But with Wesley Westbrook, I've never questioned the talent or the athleticism or how dynamic he was. I have never questioned that. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this off rip. Wesley Westbrook, has he had one of the most impressive seasons we ever witnessed. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's had a tremendous career. No championship or championship. He's had a he's had a tremendous career. But his style often, it, all it, throughout his career, at every spot, whether it's an OKC, playing with Durant and Harden, Harden, you know, Durant and okay, like it doesn't matter. Paul George, at every stint or level of his career, the the knock on him that I have had and that many others have had on Wesley Westbrook is his style of play is not conducive to winning basketball. His style of play doesn't equal into championships. It doesn't equal to winning playoff series consistently. Doesn't equal to that. And we look at his assist numbers and we're like, whoa, his assist numbers are high. But I would beg to differ. I would sometimes, I would, I would, I would, a lot of times, I would argue that, like, hey, his assist numbers are high. But, like, how many of those assists are really making his teammates better? Or is he really making the, the game easier for his teammates? At times, I would argue and question that. I would argue and question that. I would argue and question that. And like it seems like every star that Westbrook gets, they they leave. <laughs> they they it seems like they just leave. So I like Westbrook. I love his motor. I love his intangibles. Uh, I think sometimes self-awareness can be off. 
But in terms of the grit and the energy and the effort that he comes with, I love it. I love his attitude. You know what? I wish Anthony Davis had Russell Westbrook's like motor and attitude because if he had if Anthony Davis had Russell Westbrook's energy and motor and attitude about the game, Anthony Davis would be probably the best player in basketball. Like he'll be, he'll probably be a top five player in basketball if he had Russell Westbrook's like attitude and motor and commitment. With Westbrook, it's just like, hey, you know, his style isn't conducive to winning championships or you know winning playoff series consistently. His style, you know, he's not going to waver. He's not going to change. That's just who he is. So it's not, it's not the best situation at times. But ultimately. Um, that's what it is with Darvin Ham and the Lakers. I think it's a good hire. Um, I think year one's gonna be rough. I think it's gonna be rough. So I hope I hope Lakers aren't expecting him to work miracles and turn water into wine. I, I hope I hope I hope the Laker fans and look and Laker faithful is not anticipating that because I don't think that's gonna happen. And that's no knock against Darvin Ham. I just think that's because I don't I don't know if any coach can really do that with this circumstance with the circumstances right now in LA. So that's that's just that's just no knock to Darvin Ham. That's just that just shows that just goes to show you how bad the situation is. But in terms of in terms of a hire and it being the correct hire, I think this was the correct hire. And with the Lakers, in terms of their culture and their identity. The Lakers are, and I've been going around said this on different platforms. The Lakers are, they're that house that had a lot of potential. You pick the right location geographically; it looks good. Like you, you have the blueprint laid out. They're that house that had potential, but then the owner he hires one contractor, the owner hires another contractor, and then he hires another contractor, then they hire another contractor. And then, you know, like the owner's on, it's on its fifth, sixth contract. And you're like, what theme? What is the theme of this house? And that's the Lakers. Like they, 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 six coaches in the last 11 years, I think. Um, like they just have no, no stability, no identity, no culture. That's what the Lakers are. So I'm gonna move on from that. But now, um, as I've talked about on my previous uh, episode or, you know, a little bonus episode that I gave you guys um, at, right after game two of the NBA finals, I talked about how I think this finals is going to be a really good final. I, I, and I said that before this series, but just watching the first two games, both it's kind of I'm, le- I'm I'm like I said, I'm leaning with Golden State. I'm still choosing and picking Golden State to win it all. But it's kind of a coin flip. It's a coin flip. In terms of like it's a coin flip. So I'm so I with that, um, I have listed my favorite finals. Now you guys already know I already talked about like how I think sometimes I think certain final series are a bit overrated. Like the 2016 finals, I know a lot of people love that finals because of all the storylines and the players involved and the teams, like and all the drama that happened. And there was a lot of historical moments to take from that finals. And I think the game seven was amazing, but the first six games were like complete blowouts. <laughs> like the first six games were blowouts. That's a, that's, that's something that people don't talk about a lot because we look, it, everything like literally everything else overshadows that. But the first six games were blowouts, but here's some of my personal, my top five, my, well, not even necessarily the top five, but my five, favorite NBA finals and I don't I, and I try my best not to sound too young <laughs> um so like I got I got some older finals in here but these are just my five personal favorite finals um series first the 2013 finals the 2013 finals is probably the top of my list because I can remember I was I think I was 12 I think I was 12 or 13 uh, during his finals and I can remember just so many it was the finals that series was back and forth it was a back and forth series and I I, I, I just I just somebody text me I just love every part of that series 
Every every like every moment of that series, it was back and forth. Danny Green had a great series. I mean, well, yeah, the first you know the first couple games, first several games were really good from Danny Green. The Heat's come back. Obviously, Ray Allen's game six three. LeBron game six fourth quarter. That game went over. Like there's so many controversial moments, and I think that finals was probably my personal favorite. Um, I, I just, I love that finals. I love that finals so much. I love that finals so much. So that's, that, that's probably my personal favorite, um, out of the five, but, 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 um, 2013 was amazing. The big three in the heat, the storyline with the Spurs dynasty. I just love every bit of part of that. So when I when I when I saw when so that finals, you know, the, obviously the Heat won. Like, and I felt the Heat with a better team. It was just like it, it, LeBron winning back to back chips. It was it was it was a magical series for sure. Um, I would also say the '87 finals, the Lakers, um, the Lakers won the championship over the Celtics. I would say the 87 finals is also one of my favorites. Uh, another one of my favorites. This is the finals where Magic Johnson kind of flipped the switch where like he be, you know, because over the years, Bird, universally, Bird was looked upon as the best player in basketball. He had won three back-to-back-to-back MVPs. And even throughout some time in the 80s, Kareem was looked at as the best player on the Lakers. I feel like the 87 finals is kind of that turning point for Magic where he kind of ascends and he turns into the best player in basketball, essentially. That's that that that's what he turned into. That that's what he turned into. Like he became a better scorer. I think it was his high it was his highest scoring year, um, at twenty three points per. Oh, that's 86, 87. 87, He averaged twenty and uh twenty and nine twenty and eleven. So like you you saw Magic kind of growing in front of your eyes as emerging as the best player in basketball. I feel like that finals series signifies Magic being the best player in the finals. That's what that series kind of signifies for me. And I, I, I like Magic Johnson, love Magic Johnson, one of my favorite players. Uh, so that 87 finals, you know, it kind of starts, the, it was back-to-back. That was the first of the back-to-back championships for the Lakers in the late 80s. Um, and, you know, Kareem's aging and so forth, but Magic comes to save the day. Magic, uh, you know, kind of prevails and kind of enters into that category of best player in the world at this point with Matt with Bird's back injuries. Like I said, Bird's back injuries and Kareem getting older. Magic kind of stepped into that role of being the best player in basketball. Um, or some would argue Michael Jordan at this point is emerging into those shoes as well. But Magic won the championship. Um, was the and was the best player in the finals at this point. So that that final kind of signifies that for me. Um, eighty four, eighty four finals, and I probably should have did this in order. But the eighty four finals, like I said, the eighty four finals throughout the eighties, especially throughout the early to mid eighties, Larry Bird was universally known as the best player in basketball. Uh, like I said, he won three back to back MVPs. No other player has done that outside of Bird, other than Bill Russell. Um, no other player has won back to back to back MVPs. Bird did that in the 80s. Um, in 84, seven game series. Uh, this is the series where Magic Johnson gets called Tragic Johnson. Um, and Bird and the Celtics prevail. Uh, I thought, I think, I thought the 86 team. Was the better was the best Celtics '80s championship team? Uh, out of all the championship teams in the '80s, I thought the '86 team was probably the best team. But the '84 team, it participated in a great series and a great series, a back and forth series. Uh, but Bird and the Celtics came out on top. Um, a, a finals. Here's another one. A final series that I don't think gets talked about a lot. But the 2006 finals. And I was just talk. I was just thinking about this finals, 
it's not so much of the storyline per se. It's and it's the, it's between the Mavericks and the Heat. Um, it's a little bit of the storyline, but more so like with a performance. And it, it was Dwayne Wade's performance. I don't think Dwayne Wade's performance in that finals gets talked about enough. Like he showed off in that finals. He like Dwayne Wade was amazing. Dwayne Wade was amazing in that final series. I don't think people realize how great he was in that series. Like, if we can get the numbers, I need those numbers for that Dwayne Wade series. The Wade Wade, Dwayne Wade, uh, Wade final series. We need to get, we need to get uh, Wade stats in 2006. Dwayne Wade in 2006 in the, in the six games NBA Finals, he averaged 34 points. Seven rebounds and nearly four assists. He was absolutely amazing in that finals. I don't think that final performance by him gets talked about enough. I don't. I don't. I don't think it gets talked about nearly enough as it should. Like when we're mentioning, you know, 2016 LeBron and you know Jordan. Like I, I honestly think Dwayne Wade is probably that was probably one of the best final performances we've ever seen. One of not the best, but one of. Like we don't talk about that that series from him enough, so that's more of a performance. But that series in itself was a really good series, given the Heat won three straight games. Um, and then finally, last but certainly not least, uh, the '93 Finals, Michael Jordan's '93 Finals, similar to Dwayne Wade in terms of like not necessarily like the storyline and the teams per se, but. Um, and maybe maybe not the storyline between the teams, but more so like the Bulls going for their third their third straight title, uh, and like statistically, many would say I at least for myself I would say statistically, this is this is definitely Michael Jordan's best finals. Average forty one points per game. His shooting, you look at his shooting splits, they were great. Like offensively, this is Michael Jordan at his peak precipice. Like in terms of his power, like this is probably Michael Jordan probably had the best peak. I think he has the best peak in basketball ever. So that is like that is Michael Jordan at his best form, I feel like, in terms of athletically, shooting wise, all together, bringing it all together. This is probably Michael Jordan's best finals. It's it's definitely his. Statistically, it's definitely his best finals. You look at this, like I said, you look at the shooting splits. You look obviously 41 points per game. That's the highest ever in a finals series. That was like elite. That was like peak Michael Jordan. That was peak Michael Jordan. Like I, I would say, I would tell people, if you want to know how good Michael Jordan was, like obviously we know how great he is. But like if you really want to know and you wasn't allowed to see it. Like that '93 Finals, that kind of put the like the cherry on top of like that's why I mean you know he walked away from the game and he was called the best player ever, like Michael was called the greatest player ever after winning that championship and it, it was a reason why like he had three peated, Bird, Magic, Isaiah had never did that, so like the mere fact that he three peated in the fashion that he did it, um, kind of puts the cherry on top to his first half of his career and then he comes we obviously know back we obviously know that like he comes back out of retirement and wins another three um so that's just the you know my five favorite personal finals uh just my five favorite personally but without further ado like i said i hope you guys enjoy this episode be ready for uh game three uh be sure to continue to tune in listen to the isaiah kid podcast what i, I bid you guys adieu. Uh, always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace. Deuces. Gone.